Welcome to Carefully Examining the Text. And today we want to look at Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is one of the psalms most frequently quoted in the New Testament. And what we want to do is to get some grasp of the context of Psalm 69. As we get a grasp of the context, we want to look then at where it is quoted in the New Testament and how it's applied to get a better understanding of God's message. The heading says, For the choir director, according to Shashnanim, a psalm of David. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk into deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, and a flood overflows me. Now, if I were to read the words of Psalm 69 completely literally, I would say that here is a man who is drowning. The waters have reached his neck. He cannot find any footing in the ground below, and he is soon to be swept away. But you know sometimes you've heard people say this same kind of thing metaphorically. They say, I'm drowning here when they're standing on dry ground. This emphasizes the seriousness of his problem, the intensity of his distress, and the urgency for God to act, for God to save. I have sunk into deep mire, and there is no foothold. And you notice in verse 3 that he says, I am weary with my crying, my throat is parched, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. He has cried so long that his throat is parched. He's looking for deliverance. He's waiting for God's aid. But his enemies are many. His enemies are powerful. His enemies are ruthless, according to verse three, verse 4. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. There are many of them. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal... I then have to restore. Verse 5, O God, it is you who knows my folly, and my wrongs are not hidden from you. I find it interesting that in Psalm 69, we both we have both a confession of innocence and an acknowledgment of sin. In verse 5, he acknowledges his sin, his wrong. O oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. God knows our failures and our shortcomings. And the psalmist acknowledges that in verse 5. On the other hand, in verse 4, he proclaims his innocence. His enemies are his enemies without a cause. They are wrongfully his enemies. And he will state in verses 6 through 12, David will state that not only is he innocent of anything that deserves suffering, but he is suffering because of his loyalty to God. In verse 6, may those who wait for you not be ashamed through me. 
O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. The word reproach is going to be a key word in Psalm 69. Used first here in verse 7, used in verse 9 and verse 10, and it will also be used in verses 19 and 20. It will be used repeatedly in this psalm. This writer knows about dishonor. This writer knows about reproach. And he has endured this for your sake, verse 7 says. For your sake, I have endured reproach. His reproach has led him to be separated even from those closest to him. In verse 8, I have become estranged from my brothers, an alien to my mother's sins. We see several times in the book of Psalms that when a sufferer is suffering intensely, he finds out he doesn't have as many friends as he thought. We saw that in Psalm 31, 11, Psalm 38, 11. Job 19, verses 13 through 20 state the same thing. He's estranged from those who are closest to him because of his loyalty to God. And he says in verse 9, zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Those who would mock you and those who would reproach you, I endure their reproaches. And every act of devotion to God, every act of loyalty to him, only makes him more of a laughingstock. In verse 10, When I whelped in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. When he is weeping, when he is fasting, when he is wearing sackcloth, activities that Psalm 35 mentioned as acts of concern and devotion for those for whom he's praying. But when he does these acts of devotion, it only leads him to be more an object of ridicule. I became a byword to them. And verse 12 says, Those who sit in the gate talk about me. I am the song of drunkards. Now, verse 12 is a good example of what we call a merism. And a merism takes two extremes. One side, he takes the drunkards, the lowest element of society. But he also mentions the highest in society. He mentions those who sit in the gate. And as he emphasizes that he is mocked and he is a byword for the, all the citizens, from the highest, those who sit in the gate, to the lowest, those who are drunkards. He is mocked, he is reproached, he is shamed and embarrassed by all. If you've ever felt that way, you can identify with David the psalmist. 
And where does he look for help? He looks to God, and he looks to his nature. In verse 13, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. David's going to refer to God's loving kindness in verse 13 and verse 16. He's going to refer to God's truth or God's saving truth in verse 13. He's also going to emphasize God's compassion in verse 16. He refers to God's compassion, God's truth, God's faithfulness, and God's loving kindness. All attributes of God emphasized in that great revelation of God himself in Exodus 34 in verses 6 and 7. In Exodus 34 in verses 6 and 7, The text emphasizes the Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, full of loving kindness, abounding in loving kindness and truth. It mentions the very attributes of God that David appeals to here as he is begging to be rescued by a God that he is devoted to, by a God that he shows his loyalty to. He is begging this God in his loving kindness, in his faithfulness, in his compassion to deliver him. If you look at the language of verses 14 and 15, it sounds much like that language of verses 1 and 2. It speaks of him as going into the mire and sinking into the mire and the deep swallowing him up. It, it, it uses this kind of language. In verse 17, Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. You may remember in Psalm 51 verse 9 that David asked the Lord to hide his face from his sin. Hide your face from my sin, he said there in 51.9. But here he's begging God, don't hide your face from your servant. I'm in distress. Answer me quickly. Draw near to my soul and redeem me. Ransom me. Because of my enemies, in verse 18. In verse 19, you know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. Did you notice that in verse 5, he said, O God, it is you who knows my folly. God knows our foolishness. God knows our shortcomings. But here in verse 9, the God who knows all our failures also knows all our enemies and all the shame and reproach that we've borne for Him. In verse 20, Reproach has broken my heart and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but there was none. And they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. 
reproach has broken my heart. He desperately looks for comfort. He desperately looks for someone to share his suffering, to someone to encourage him, but he finds none. Those words are heartbreaking. And those words are words that many people live. In verses 22 through 28, there is an imprecatory statement begging God to bring judgment upon evildoers in ways similar to the ways they have tried to judge Him. For example, in verse 20 and 21, they gave Him gall for His food and vinegar to drink. And then in verse 22, David prays that their table will become a snare. And when they are in peace, that it will become a trap. While they have tried to poison his table, in effect, he is asking that God do the same to them. His eyes had grown dim. His eyes had failed, waiting for God's deliverance in verse 3. And he prays that his enemies might experience the same thing in verse 23. May their eyes grow dim so they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. He asked in verse 24 that God pour out his indignation upon them that God pour out His burning anger on them. The God that is described in verse 13 and 16 as a God of loving kindness, a God that's described as a God of truth and faithfulness in verse 13, and a God of compassion in verse 16, is described now in verse 27 as a God of burning anger. And these are not two opposite sides of God. When we love someone as God deeply loved David, his servant, he rises up to defend his servant and pours out his anger on those who would destroy him. So in a sense, these are both attributes of a loving and holy God who cannot dare to watch his servants be mistreated in such cruel and ruthless ways. In verse 25, May their count be desolate, and may none dwell in their tent, for they have persecuted him whom you yourself have smitten. Interestingly, here in verse 26, he attributes some of his problems to God. But his enemies have piled on when things are difficult. They persecuted him whom you yourself have smitten, and they tell of the pain of those whom you have wounded. And David asks in verse 28 that they may be blotted out, blotted out from his book. So David began by describing his distress in verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 12, he states his distress has come because of his loyalty to God. He once again begs God's mercy in verses 13 through uh, 18, 19. 
And he talks about his distress again in 20 and 21. He begs God to bring judgment on his foes in verses 22 through 28 and 29. But now, as he so often does, he ends his psalm of lament by praising God and honoring him. In verse 30, I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And he will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your heart revive. He had prayed in verse 6, may those who seek you not be dishonored through me. Now in verse 32, may all who seek God, may their heart revive because of the victory that David experiences. In verse 33, the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the sea and everything that moves in it. All of creation is pictured as bursting forth in praise because of God's deliverance of his servants. In verse 35, God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it and those who love his name will dwell in it. First, the first verse of Psalm 69 had begged God, save me, O God. Verse 35 says, God will save Zion. He had begged God to save. He had begged God to ransom and redeem in verse 18. He'd mentioned God's salvation in verse 13 and in verse 29. And now he praises God. He praises God who will save Zion and build the cities of Judah. Psalm 69 is an individual lament where David pours out his problems. He pours out his distress. He takes his problems to God because he knows the nature of God as a God of loving kindness, a God of truth, a God of compassion, and a God whose burning anger will punish those who are so ruthlessly mistreating his people. David takes his problems to God and states, God, I've suffered these things because of my loyalty to you. But ultimately, this psalm ends in praising God. Now, we didn't talk about how frequently Psalm 69 is quoted in the New Testament. Lord willing, on our next podcast, we'll talk about how Jesus fulfills Psalm 69 and how some of these verses are used in the New Testament. We thank you for listening, and may the Lord continue to bless you.